I think if you are very open and enthusiastic and honest, this is, you know, this is a new idea, this is a new product, no one else is stocking it. That actually also is a selling point. And I found that massively once I went into international distribution because enthusiasm, particularly um, in the US, Australia, places like that, really open culture of, wow, this is exciting, this is new, let's take a look, rather than what nurse is it you're trying to sell me. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hey, Gavin here. You love the audio format because you listen to podcasts. I'm a massive fan of learning through audio courses and books. What I particularly like about Knowable is that courses are short form, like a podcast, and expert-led, like an audiobook, with courses on leadership from the commander of the International Space Station and on startups from the co-founder of Reddit. Grab yourself 20% off with coupon code GAVIN, in capital letters, G-A-V-I-N, which brings the price down to just over $3 a month. It's a no-brainer. Download the Knowable app or visit knowable.fyi. Use code GAVIN to get 20% off. Hi, welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Gavin here, really good to have you back on the show. So as you're listening now, today we sat down with Solvay Biddle. For some of you may recognise Solvay's name because she came to, uh, sort of came to fame on Dragon's Den as a contestant and got on this, uh, investment from two of the dragons for her business, Content and Calm. Um, Solvay is an award-winning entrepreneur, business consultant, an inspirational leadership expert, lawyer and public speaker. And today we're going to talk about a couple of things actually how to take an idea from your head to get it into the shops and then we also want to talk about sort of uh, what's happening to employ an entrepreneurial sentiment during repeated lockdowns but first of all Solvay welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Oh thank you for having me on Gavin it's exciting to be here at actually quite a challenging time I think for everybody including entrepreneurs um, but I think we really need to try and um encourage people to still have that optimism and positivity and tenacity that that all comes with people who take ideas from in their heads and and eventually get them into the shops. I mean, there's lots of pitfalls along the way, but let's hope that um, our conversation can can hopefully also just encourage others that it is possible, it can happen. And um, actually, when there are uh, times of adversity, there are other things that people need. And if you can solve a problem, um, that can be a great business. Absolutely. So please just share uh, some of your sort of backstory so people know about your journey in terms of your career and then the business that uh, Content and Calm you founded and the products you designed and your Dragon's Den experience. So you could just share some of that story, please. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, firstly, uh, I was a so I was a lawyer um, and I specialise in advertising and branding and intellectual property. And I think that uh, you always know if you're one of these people who has ideas and things that they want you want to do. And um, when I was advising my clients, um, I often thought, well, that's interesting. And I had a lot of entrepreneurs coming through the door. um, And I often thought to myself, well, that would be, you know, I think there's there are some opportunities there. But really, my moment came um, when I needed something and I couldn't buy it. And I absolutely assumed I would be able to buy it because, you know, you can buy everything. And that came after the birth of my uh, first child. Um, And I went back to work uh, full time at my law firm. And we were going to be taking our first holiday. God, wouldn't we all love a holiday right now? That's that's what we're going to be doing. Um, And I thought, well, if if our daughter's going to be in the same room as us and we want to be able to have the light on or we want to have a babysitter, uh, when we go down for dinner, um, she's going to want to have the light on and the babysitter can't be sitting in the dark. We don't want to sit in the dark. I know what I need. I just need something to cover her cot that's going to give her personal darkness. Perfect. Not a problem. I'll quickly buy myself one of those. And I googled what in my mind would be a canopy for cots or a cot canopy. Couldn't buy it, couldn't find it, couldn't find anything like it. I just thought, this is completely bizarre. There's, lots of people understand that children sleep better in the dark, and you, you know you can't always have a child in their own room. They've got siblings, 
and I looked at really sort of harebrained versions of what I could do to sort of mash this up. So at one point I looked at, um, it was a sort of mobile darkroom for photographers and I thought oh, I could put that over the cot, that would be the dog. And um, I thought, no, this is ridiculous. And I remember so well, um, the uh, my assistant at the time, she was sitting in um, our joint office and I scribbled on a piece of paper, a picture, my drawing of what it was uh, that I needed. And I showed it to her. And I remember I, I put a copyright sign on it, you know, and gave a date on it. mine going Brilliant. on there. And I said to Kate, this is what I need and I cannot find it. And we're still great friends. She's also an entrepreneur now. And she's um, one of the people behind Silk Fred, which is a great um, uh, online clothing company. Um, and so I kept that in my mind. And I sort of had that picture in and thought, there must be something about this. And I started sort of talking to other people about it, because I think when you have an idea, it, you may think it's the best idea on the planet. But if other people don't actually think that they would buy into it, it, this isn't something that you could ever scale. But anyway, I kept it in my mind. And then I carried on working. Then I had my second child. And again, we had this, they were going to share a room. And I thought, I really need, I really need this thing now, this cot canopy. And I started doing some actual proper, uh, sort of actually seeing whether this was something that might have legs. And I think when you get to that point, what you need to do is really evaluate your idea because, you know, you have to understand that it can be brought to market at the right price, um, that the buyers in the shops that you think it should sell in would actually want to buy it, who's your market, all of these things. So while I was still working, I kind of had that rolling around in the background um, and I felt that there was enough there. And that is the moment when you need to do something because just wanting something to happen doesn't actually make it happen. So I needed to make what I call a, the change. And for me, that was leaving my job. And actually, that was a massive decision. Well, that, that, that must have been because at this stage you had an idea. Um, yeah. You you were going to effectively stop a you know a, a regular reliable income stream. Mm, you've, absolutely. You've got a that family to feed. And then you were taking a leap into the unknown. Completely thinking unknown. I honestly didn't know what I was uh, doing in many areas, but you do learn. So I, I now, when I talk to people about it, I think, you know, I, I've sat down and thought, well, what, where, what were the steps? What were the elements here? So at this point, I felt there was enough. I felt like I had done enough research and evaluation that there was going to be something that was worth taking forward. But you cannot, if you're going to commit your time to something, you can't have a full time job like being a lawyer and the hours I was doing and do both so there's also nothing like poverty impending poverty uh, fear turning yourself into not only the IT person in your uh, you know the attic room which is what I did so I went from having a complete support network to no support network and it makes you work really hard so I wanted this to happen yes. so at that point let's not forget that you need to protect your idea so um, and I suppose with a legal background, that was the one thing I did know something about. So taking a product to market, I had never manufactured anything. I had never been involved in the marketing um, of a product and I'd never done distribution. So I was really out in the ether on those things. However, I did know about protection of your idea. But again, you can get quite wrapped up in that. So um, the in initial product, the cop canopy, um, there are a couple of things that needed to happen there. Um, I started down the route of patenting the idea. Now, if you can have a really strong patent, that's fantastic. But a patent is only as good as the money you have behind you to protect it. Right. Yeah. So it's a very expensive um, escapade, particularly if you want to go worldwide. And they're expensive to maintain. They're expensive to defend. So, yes. Patent is a great idea, but there are other things you can do too. So design rights was something that um, I also did for my products because I went from one product to ultimately uh, 40 in the range. But but design rights are interesting because they, they protect the look of something. So effectively, you know, if you have such, because the cop canopy was such a new idea, um, there weren't things like that, like that out there. So if you basically had a cot with a thing that had a clamp and a cover to give darkness, Really, you were spelling out the 
the concept and you were then able to protect at least the look of it. Um, there were also things around um, the testing. There was no global standard for things like that. So I had to involve uh, test houses to do all of that safety testing, which was a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast about testing and standards and safety. But ultimately, if you want to get things into the shops, not only do they have to be made safely, they have to be manufactured um, by people who are also being treated fairly. And there were things like that of that course. came up. Big right. learning curves. Oh, so wow, yeah. I had the idea, I had done some protections for it, um, but I realized all of those things I said, I didn't know anything about. You have to be really honest with yourself about what you don't know. You might think you know a lot about some things, but there were lots of things I did not know anything about. And selling, manufacturing a product at the right price, which by now I had realized was going to have to be in China. I had looked to manufacture in the UK. Um, we're talking 2007 here, 2008. There really wasn't the um, appetite or the um, energy around uh, with manufacturers to be able to produce the product at a price that would make it ultimately viable in the UK, which was a shame because I actually really wanted to manufacture here. And I had won a, um, a British Man uh, Innovation Award for the concept of the product. And I really wanted to continue that story. It wasn't possible. You have to be realistic about what can, you know, what the price needs to be. So I realized I lacked knowledge around um, those things that we talked about manufacturing in the Far East. And I really, this is where sort of tenacity came out in spades. I contacted every single person I knew who might know someone, who might know someone, who might know someone, who might know how to do this. And incredible helpfulness came out from people who had no idea who I was, who was this sort of crazy lawyer who wants to bring a product to market. People were very kind and very patient, I think, actually, with me. And there were a couple of really key people who um, sort of took me under their wing. And um, when I did my first trip out to the Far East, um, so first of all, I tried to find manufacturers to have meetings with out there. And that was a whole different world. Uh, and, you know, what on earth is this person talking about? What are you talking about covering a cot? And actually, what my sort of first big uh, pitfall, I think, was very much revealed when I first went. So I went to Hong Kong and I had a, a meeting with a manufacturer um, and the manufacturing head guy was called Man King, Manufacturing King. It wasn't his, actually his name, but this is what we called him, Man King. <laughs> and he was so great. And he he sort of looked at me and I could see he's had a bit of a wry smile going on. I think he was sort of laughing inside actually, but we ended up having a good long-term uh, relationship of manufacturing. But I proudly rolled out my very smart drawings that I'd had done in the UK, um, which were sort of better, much more elaborate versions of the sketch that I had done in the office, which I still have. Oh, brilliant. Um, so, and I had, I thought, you can't, go to a manufacturer with that pencil sketch. You need, you know, you need proper drawings. You need, you know, all of this sort of business, like CAD drawings. Anyway, I spent a lot of money on that and it turned out to be a complete waste of time and money right. because when it came to it, he sort of looked through these various smart, swanky drawings, but they gave no impression of how you would actually connect the thing to the cart or any of that. And he looked at my hand-drawn drawing and said, yeah, I know what you want. I know what we're after. And they, as part of the manufacturing process and getting uh, getting to a point of actually doing a minimum order quantity with them, they created using their own ingenuity and understanding of manufacturing and tooling and engineering, they came up with the way to do it because they would be the ones ultimately making it. And I just thought I could have been here six months ago. I could have been sitting here. So that was the first thing. So don't think that you need to spend lots of money getting really elaborate um, other versions and drawings of your idea. Because actually, often what you understand and what you can describe is good enough. So, you know, it's hard enough taking a product to market and it's expensive enough taking a product to market. So that would be something that I would highlight. Of course, there are going to be certain products where you need more engineering innovation in advance. But for me, that was that was a big eye opener. Um, so these guys made me a prototype 
Um, and uh, I signed myself up for a trade fair, um, which was very exciting. I dragged my husband along because he had done many trade fairs in the medical world. And I had my prototype and I had, had it all set up. And I was very nervous, actually. And bearing in mind, I'm not a nervous sort of person. I do lots of public speaking and out there doing lots of legal advice and what have you. But because it was such an unusual concept in the world of nursery, um, the idea of covering a court, it, it, some, for some people that was a, a bit out there, but then the idea of giving darkness, and of course we've done all the safety and things like that, so we knew it was safe. Um, but when I set up at the trade fair, what I also realised is that they all, everybody knew each other. So all of these sort of people who had been long in the teeth and selling and coming up with really exciting nursery products looked at me very much, who is this outsider? Who is this person? Yeah. What is that? on her stand yeah. and um, because it was a prototype the tooled part because of course you're not going to go immediately and to manufacture the real tool parts it'd be so expensive and you'd need to make you know two thousand of them or something and you you know you've got to make sure that the people who you ultimately want to buy the thing are interested and like it so the clamp which was the bit that attached from the cot um puts the canopy onto the cot was actually made of a composite, a bit like papier-mâché. Oh, and right. it wasn't that strong. Yeah, yeah. And the I had contacted various buyers in advance of the show. And I think, in a way, that sort of that positivity and optimism, I, I think maybe it was good that I didn't know how challenging it was going to be at the trade fair because I was so upbeat about it. You know, here's a great new product. Uh, I think you'll like it. It's going to solve this problem. But do you know what? That was key because they did come and see yes. me. Because otherwise, right. they just, you know, they might have just walked past. Because as much as you run at them with your leaflet <laughs> yes. and try and pull them onto your stand, um, you know, I had made those calls and, and I had tried to get through to the right person. And actually, some of those people I talked about that put, took me under their wing, you know, I said, who's the buyer for this? Because it's all a bit cloak and dagger trying to find out who the buyer is for some of these things. Anyway, so I had made some calls and I had, you know, said, please come and visit me. I'm on stand 135 or whatever it was. Please come and see me. And the, I remember so well, uh, and when I do sort of stand-up talks, I, I kind of imitate this because it was really uh, quite frightening. Um, so there are sort of long, thin corridors at these, at these trade fairs and everyone's yeah. lined up with their yeah. wares, with their leaflets. Yeah. Um, and um, and buyers certainly then, although things have changed now, probably aren't such huge groups now, came as a pack and the leader was at the front and then the more junior people sort of fanned out behind. And um, I remember looking down the corridor and seeing this sort of pack of people coming, literally marching towards me. And as they pass stands, Everyone tries to look and see what their lanyard says and where they're from, because everyone's they want to know if this is a really good buyer coming. So people are leaning out trying to look at the lanyard, but they were bypassing all these other stands. And I only had this tiny little stand with my one product there, you know. Um, and we'd done some quite good branding, or so we thought. Um, and um, they marched straight up. I could see that they were looking for the numbers, which were at the top of the stand, and they came straight over. And I could see one of the lanyards twizzled, and I could see that it was um, someone from Mothercare. And at wow. the time, this all was the, a really all, big deal. All the other standholders, their jaws on the floor by this stage. Yeah, they're all watching. They're all leaning <laughs> out from their stands to see what's going on down here. And so I saw the lanyard twizzle, and that it was from that this was a, a lady from Mothercare. And I started to try and do my really rehearsed pitch. You know, hello, um, my name's Solvay. I don't know. And as soon as I started talking, she said, uh, she put her hand up and, and effectively said, uh, no, no. And her and her team descended on my cot with its prototype on it oh, and were gosh. pulling at it, yanking on it. And I was your heart must have been in your mouth. Day, clamp. And I looked at my husband and I was thinking, it, that thing's going to snap. And that would be so awful because it won't snap in real life. But this is a prototype, and they were yanking and pulling, and they had, and they were zipping and unzipping really hectically on the main zip bit, sticking their head into the cot. And I just, <laughs> I, 
I was literally I, I, sounds I, almost I, like a comedy sketch. No, it was. It literally was. And in fact, after this, I remember saying to when I, I had done many, many trade shows in the years to come, and I remember saying we should actually have a sitcom about this, a bit like the Office, but called Trade Show. <laughs> anyway, so they were yanking at it and doing all these terrible things, and then she she sort of motioned to her team to stand back. You know, that was it. She'd had a, you know, had enough of a look. <laughs> and she handed me her car and said, yes, we'll have that. And marched on. And that, that was it. was my first <laughs> visit from any retailer at my very first trade show. And the grin on my face, I still feel it now, how exciting wow. it was. And wow. I, I was just sort of hopping up and down. It was so exciting. Um, and yeah, so that was the first trade show. So it started then. Hey, Gavin here. You love the audio format because you listen to podcasts. I'm a massive fan of learning through audio courses and books. What I particularly like about Knowable is that courses are short form, like a podcast, and expert led, like an audio book, with courses on leadership from the commander of the International Space Station and on startups from the co-founder of Reddit. Grab yourself 20% off with coupon code GAVIN, in capital letters, G-A-V-I-N, which brings the price down to just over $3 a month. It's a no-brainer. Download the Knowable app or visit knowable.fyi. Use code GAVIN to get 20% off. But how did you how did you get to her in the first place then, before the show? You said you... Well, so, yeah, so um, that was about really tapping into understanding where you don't know a market, where you don't know... I, I didn't really even understand to have an appreciation of the buying hierarchy in retailers, really, um, and sort of how it worked and how you got something listed and what the requirements would be. What would their immediate questions be, you know, uh, about the product? So um, I had very kindly the introductions that, that people had given me and, you know, me constantly phoning people up and annoying them and asking for help hopefully I was helpful back in the end but um uh I was given some heads up about the sort of thing that they're going to be asking and given some names and I did lots of research uh to to also find the names that I didn't get through through contacts but I think making that phone call some people although there was definitely a feeling of um we'll call you don't call us which was sort of an impression that you get um, I think if you are very open and enthusiastic and honest, this is, you know, this is a new idea. This is a new product. No one else is stocking it. That actually also is a selling point. And I found that massively once I went into international distribution, because enthusiasm, particularly um, in the US, Australia, places like that, really open culture of, wow, this is exciting. This is new. Let's take a look rather than what nurse is it you're trying to sell me. So there were two, you know, it felt different in different places. But, you know, it was great um, that, you know, they, they were enthusiastic. But when I came away from the show with all my cards and I'd written notes on each person that had come to see me and I did all my follow-up, because, of course, that's key, the follow-up, um, then it was a whole different set of questions appeared. Uh, minimum order quantities, how were you going to do your delivery because everything had to be done in certain sizes, certain boxes. I mean, there's my new shy in all of that, but each retailer has a different way of wanting it, uh, has a different way of giving you um, estimations of what they think they might sell, all this sort of stuff. And of course, really what the first thing was, I had to go back to Man King, remember my friends in Hong Kong, and say, do you know what? We're actually going to have to make some of these because I've actually got an order and um, yeah, and you've got to think also if you always put yourself in the other person's shoes, he's also thinking, oh, okay, well we might actually make a load of these. We need to make, you know, they're looking to make money out of it too. So everybody needs to make something out of it. You've got the retailer thinking this is something new and exciting. That sounds great. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I actually might get a product on the shelves, which is completely exciting. You've got a manufacturer thinking we might actually be making some serious quantity of this. So all of those things were in place, but then it was, how am I going to pay for all this? So that was sort of, you know, there were lots of other steps in between, little things, but just the big things, if we hold on to the nuggets of what got me to where I, you know, ended up, I thought, well, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to buy 500, 1,000 cock canopies and pay for the tool? Because, of course, that hard part had to be made in a tool. You have to buy the tool. It has to be made so that you can have the injection-moulded parts and all of that. 
anyway, so um, I thought, well, that's, you know, I, I don't unfortunately have a number of friends that I can tap into for all this crap. Um, and I myself was obviously not working in law anymore. Um, I thought, well, what am I going to do? And so I actually approached um, the bank at this point. Um, and I have to say HSBC, and they were really quite helpful. Um, again, I think there is that sense of, you know, I really went in there with so much enthusiasm and excitement and told them all about the trade show and goodness knows. Um, and I suppose, hopefully being that credibility that you have behind you, you know, I had a legal career and all that sort of stuff. And and because I had done the patenting, you know, they're asking all the same questions. Put yourself in their shoes. Do we want to lend money to, for some sort of harebrained scheme? What is this? And they're like, no, it's not harebrained. Okay, they've got protections. Uh, she's, she's made sure she's got a, a manufacturer. She's already got somebody who wants to buy the thing. And, you know, that's mother care. And you've got to remember this is a different time. And, and mother care was very much the big player in nursery. The other big player in nursery is John Lewis and their nursery buying department. Um, so we talked about how to finance it. And um, a couple of things were put in place. Export finance was really useful. So that helps. Um, so it's not just the bank giving you a load of cash and saying good luck. Um, with export finance, different. So they will pay for the, the product. Uh, you then have 90 days at that time, 90 days to pay once, you know, so you get it shipped over. By that time, hopefully you've been paid by your retailer uh, and you go forward in that way. It didn't always work like that. I'm going to say it, very, it, certainly the terms and conditions with retailers at that time were very much in favour of the retailer. Sure, um, some sure. retailers better than others. Yeah. But there were certain ones where really they didn't want to pay for 90 days and sometimes didn't pay for 120 days. It was very, mm. very difficult. But anyway, had finance in place, all good, um, and had these things being made and started uh, to to get them in the shops. But then I think you have to sort of think to yourself, well, what what am I here? Am I a one product person? Like, what is what am I? Do what should I do? You know, there are, and I always had so many ideas. And um, often when I'm doing talks, um, I think of a quote. Um, an American chemist who won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1962, Linus Pauling, he said, the best way to have an idea is to have lots of ideas. And, and I think when I'm talking about people having that sort of courage and um, optimism to come up with ideas and things, you, you know that many of them won't be the one or the thing. But just get out there, share some ideas, think of um, concepts that might solve a problem. And Already, I had a couple of other ideas that had been in, in the running, um, and but I was kick-started by this. Um, I had I had a car product that I was already had done, got done prototype for, um, called Protective Shave. Uh, but I was away with my kids with my cot canopy in Cornwall, and um, I was sitting on a very cold beach, as you do, pretending that it's fun and. Great, bucket and spade, and I got a phone call, and I'll never forget this phone call. And um, I said, "Sorry, is this?" And they said, "Oh well, um, we're 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 a, I'm a researcher for Dragons Den, and it was the funniest thing because you can imagine how many people, from the point of me leaving my job yeah. up until this point." So many friends and acquaintances and stuff said, oh, well, you should go on Dragon Set. Yeah. You've got to remember that then it was the second most popular program on TV after um, Top Gear. It was, a was it really? Yeah, it was. Wow. Yes, it was. And it was hugely popular. And I always said to people, there is no way I am going on Dragon Set. Why would I do that? Why would I take an idea that, I, you know, I've already tested and thought it's a good idea and maybe have some manufacturers and maybe I might even have some investors by then for it to be completely trashed, potentially, by the dragons and, you know, set my little... Like they did with Trunky. Yeah, so, you know, what? why would I Why would I do this? And so I kept saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And anyway... Uh, you get the call on the beach. And um, I remember... So I, I, Came off the phone and, and about a week later, when we came back, I was speaking to a very nice lady who was actually a mum from school who had a background in PR. So she did some PR for me. 
Um, and she's been doing that for a while, you know. And that, that's a whole nother story. You can spend an awful lot um, of money on advertising and PR, but doesn't really get you anywhere. That's another story. There's good ways of doing it and not so good ways of doing it. But she was very helpful. And she said, you know what, Shev, I think you'd be great on Dragon's Den. I really think you should consider it. And I was like, oh, you know what, I, I just, I said, I think it's going to be a, a diversion from what we're trying to be getting on with. Because these things are never what they seem. There's a huge amount of work to be put in to get oh, for sure. a program like that. I didn't know the half of it at this point. Anyway, they phoned again. And I had said to Sarah, my PR mum from school, I said to her, well, look, I certainly wouldn't go on with the cop canopy. I said, it's far too controversial. And you, I knew enough about the programme to know that you only have two minutes to pitch. And to explain a, a, a new concept, something that... Um, you know, that was about co- co- giving darkness to a child. It sort of lent... Controversial into- because it was a brand new product. Um, no, because it lent into a school of upbringing um, of babies. Uh, there was a thing, a, a sort of guru woman called Gina Ford. Oh, yes. Was, yes, and this is a this taps into my, something else I talk about later about understanding trends and what people are into. For me, that worked with my children. Darkness, having a routine, certainly doesn't for everybody. And, sure. um, you know, lots of people really didn't agree with it, vehemently didn't agree with it. Yeah, yeah. But for me, the idea of getting away with your child, being able to go, keeping that routine um, meant that parents could have that that feeling of confidence that they would have a nice holiday and things would go well. Sure. Or, that they would be sure. able to, or granny would be able to come and look after baby or whatever it might yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. But to describe something like that. Uh, quickly, something that had not been out in the market before, something where I would have to describe the testing, because of course you're creating an environment over a cot. So I just said that would not be the right product for that particular pitch environment. Yeah. But I had something that I had, it was such early stages with this, and it was a product called Trade Kit, which is probably the one I'm known best for. Um, but, and I had, I, again, I had done all of my wonderful sketches that Man King came to love. Um, I certainly didn't go to anyone else to try and uh, sort of create another version, but I knew what I wanted it to achieve. And it was it's a fun, easy to understand uh, problem and something that could be solved. And the, really the thing was when I'd be driving around with my kids, you watch a dragon stand pitch, you see me doing this, driving around with your kids, you're you know in the car or maybe you're on a plane or whatever, they've got their toys on their lap, the toys fall on the floor, you're in the you know middle lane of the motorway. Everything's rolling around in the seat behind, and they are determined to get that dinosaur back. And oh yes! Can you, get, mummy? Can you do? And you find yourself holding onto the wheel, leaning back, trying to yes. pick it up, just rolling down the aisle of the plate. And I just it struck me as sensible, rather than having all of their toy things in a bag, which they then get out to put on a tray table or on their lap in the car for everything to fall everywhere. Why don't they carry it themselves? in a little backpack, which when you open it has raised size and it's an extendable tray so they can play within it. And when they're done, they shut it and off you go. Brilliant. And so that's trade kit. And at that point, it was it was an it wasn't a thing. I mean it was an idea. And um I after having spoken to um the lady, the PR lady Sarah, um when they then phoned again, I said, okay, all right, so what's the pro what, what's the process? Oh, well, you know, what you need to do is you need to send us a submission of what it is that you think you would go on with. This was a, this wasn't just a, a small piece of paper that they wanted. This was the huge amounts of information were needed. Um, anyway, I obviously didn't have an actual thing. I mean, I had some drawings. I said, man, I think you need to draw something up here. Um, you know, we need to have something. So <coughs> I did that. Thinking, see, this was in, this was in um, late April 2010. I thought, because the program comes out in September, and this is again where you just don't realize. I mean, I thought, oh, well, if, you know, if I get anywhere, they'll film me in September. Anyway, so I submitted this thing. They then said, oh, can you come for a pre, a, a sort of pre. And you um, still didn't have a prototype. Uh, no, prototype. No, no. Terrible business. And it was very stressful. Um, and so I went, I said, I don't have anything to show. And they said, well, come along for this pretend pitch. So you go along for that. And there's no, obviously, there's no dragons there or anything, but there's a uh, person from from the um, the background team who I think they're just 
they're looking to see whether you would be able to pitch something. But equally, I remember so many people saying to me, I mean, if you've watched Dragon's Den, there's some quite unusual types that go on that programme. So it can't always be about people who are really... The, the order create a bit of a t- televisual yeah. experience, don't they? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you don't know what they're looking for exactly, because it can't always be about the best product. Anyway, whatever. Um, I did it. I pretended I was showing something, you know, like as if I were, you know, if it was a real thing. Um, and then uh, I remember the following week, I actually had come out of another meeting with HSBC and I was on um, uh, Hatik Ken and I'd just come out of HSBC and I, I was crossing the road and I got a phone call and it was a person from Dragon's Den saying, absolutely, yeah, great, uh, well, you can come up against the Dragons next Thursday. Oh. And I, I was like, <laughs> what? And, of course, wow. you know, I didn't want at that point. Of course it was exciting. I was like, oh, my God, that's unbelievable. However, you know what I was thinking. I don't... No prototype. I, don't I no? cannot go on that programme without a product. So I said to the woman on the phone, oh, great, okay, fantastic, you know. Uh, right, tell me what I need to do. Anyway, the, the next... So let's say it was a Tuesday when I was phoned. So maybe I had 10 days. Maybe it was 10 days from there. And the first thing I remember hightailing it back to my um, office in my attic and phoning the man, man, man king and saying, you know, I, I need something. I need something. And just do what you can. You know what the spec is. You know what we're trying to achieve. Um, get me something. And preferably, please, not just in grey. Because I remember for, they, the, the dragons actually asked to, to see it, to hold it, to touch it, to check it out, didn't like, they? Yeah, absolutely. So it... Uh, I had to have something. So I said, yeah. please try not to just do it in grey. Please to try and do, because I knew sort of what I wanted, colourful things, because it's appealing for kids, you know? Sure. Anyway, apart from that, there was so much other due diligence that I had to do in order to be able to go. So you can't just go on and say, oh, do you know what? Um, I've had you know, I've had an order from, from Asda, for example, and you haven't. You would have to be able to prove that, should they ask. So, you know, this really... But at this stage, because he didn't even have a prototype, was Mothercare, for example, interested at this stage? Well, I hadn't even introduced this to any other retailers. This wasn't even going to be happening until sort of <laughs> quarter four. Like, this was not even happening. There wasn't space for it. But it tells yeah. you sometimes that uh, uh, a little bit of pressure can yeah. also make things happen faster. So um, I did all the due diligence and what have you. And the night before the filming... I was due to stay in a hotel there. You know, they don't want... There, there are lots of things that go on around the programme anyway. But, you know, of course, you have to be... Um, you have to be ready ready to go. You have to be all lined up with what it is. Again, so I, I've been practising my pitch, but I still did not have a prototype. And it arrived the morning I left for the hotel. No way. Yeah. Yeah. And, so of course, the moment we opened the, the packaging, the box, you must have thought... Gee, God, I hope this is okay. No, I, I literally was. I remember my heart like pounding and thinking, "What? It, uh, please, can like the zips work? Can something work? Yeah. And just anyway, I opened it up, and they had done such a good job. They really had pulled it out of the bag. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the end thing that we ended up, exa- but very close actually. To be fair, not far off. Anyway, so. Then I had, so I knew my pitch and I had sort of practice with the real thing. Um, and then I went on to the, uh, the program. I was actually the last person to be filmed on the day. So you see other people going during the day with whatever it is that they've got. Um, and you don't. I think uh, what most people don't realize, you, you grilled for could be oh, up to two hours, aren't you? But you only see a few minutes on the TV. Exactly. And of course, you have absolutely no idea how it's gone for people earlier in the day. You don't yeah. see them. Once they've gone, they've gone. So you don't oh, okay. know. How, they, how it's gone um so I was the last person waiting around in the room to be taken in and um I went in at about seven, uh, half past six and I came out at 9 p.m whoa yeah so quite intense um so you you know and they one of the researcher people sets up your stuff so you don't set it up yourself so you know um and I I was I had practiced that pitch I knew, I knew what I was going to. I knew my numbers because, of course, even though I wasn't a sort of avid watcher of Dragon's Den, like anything, again, put yourself in the shoes of any investor, whether it's you know, a, a true investor or a bank. I mean, think of what is it 
that you would need to hear yourself in order to be able to. But to did you have at this stage, given the fact that literally the, the prototype arrived that morning, did you have any ideas around cost to manufacture at that stage? Um, yes, I mean, in the sense that I knew I would, I knew I would have to have. So um, when I had initially gone to the manufacturer and said, "Look, I want to make this backpack," and it's like we knew we had some ballparks in terms of cost. Um, now. You know, it was a very new product. I explained that it was a new product and it was a new idea. Um, and, you know, the first thing I did was set out the need, made it very visual, things rolling everywhere. They got it. Um, but what what then happened? Um, so as soon as I had sort of done my two minute pitch, you know, they're looking at you. And I remember so well um, that they're all kind of lined up. It's a bit like being in the scariest teacher's review you've ever had in your life. And Peter Jones, from my, at my view, was the far right. And he immediately said, he, he said, Solvay, and, and I was about to say something. He said, can I take a look at that? And he takes it. And if you watch the footage, he's holding it. I went over to take the tray fit to him. And I was about to explain something about how to use it. You know, no. Uh, and then for about the next hour, at least, I was being grilled by all of the others about you know with how much um profit there would be and volumes and you know, all this sort of stuff about my other product because it wasn't just about that it's about your whole brand I've been grilled and all, all these different I was good on my numbers you know you've got to make it make sure you know what you're talking about um but out of the corner of my eye he, Peter Jones didn't say anything and I can just hear the zips zip zip velcro velcro zip zip <laughs> the and I was trying took you back to, to the trade show. Yeah, and I'm trying not to be distracted. And I'm really focusing on because each person, you know, it's, it's a very uh, challenging environment in the sense that you've got they're, they're also competing against each other. Mm. So you you you've got to give each person your proper due attention and understand. Anyway, um, I think Theopathetis started saying something. Peter Jones interrupted him and just said. I'm not going to ask you any questions and I'm going to offer you all the money. Wow. And he said, I've never, and he, then he said, I've never done this before. I'm going to, I'm not going to ask you any questions and I'm going to offer you all the money. And the others looked at him, their heads shot round and they looked at him and they, they went, what? what? You know, what's going on? The kind of thing. Anyway, so then we ended up in a fantastically fun bidding war between various things and other people offering different things. And, you know, you're looking at who would be the best help for the business and all this kind of stuff anyway it, it was I came out of there at nine o'clock at night and I remember you can't you know you know you can't tell anyone what's happened and I was so excited <laughs> but immediately I was right back to that original as you say trade point where I thought oh my god I need to make some product because yeah. imagine if that got because the, the, they start to show them. I think they start to show them in, or then they did anyway, from but July to September. I guess if you've got investment, you're obviously going to make the show. But it, you, I know people have been on it. They don't even know whether they're going to make the show or not. Exactly. And you don't know. You don't know until the show before. Oh, when, so, it's, going to be, when it's going to be broadcast. So I, did, I could have been two weeks later. Or three oh weeks God. later, I think was the first one. So what did I do? I went straight to, I went straight to the Far East. I went straight to China. Oh, you jumped on a plane? Yeah, and worked day and night basically getting things because it's not just it's not just making a load of stuff. We still had to do the gold ceiling. We had to do all the testing. We had to make sure that that we could actually get it over to the UK. And because we didn't know timing, there was air freight involved initially because um, otherwise we would not have any stock. And because I didn't know when I was going to be showed. But of course, as soon as that product, as soon as that program aired, I knew I would be aired because. I knew I'd been offered investment. But of course, what I didn't know was how many other people have been offered investment. Maybe other people have done as well as having all those offers. I mean, I didn't know. You don't know how much you're going to, how much sort of time and airspace you're going to get. But you have to be absolutely ready to roll because otherwise those phones start ringing. Because also not only was I selling by that point via um, 
manufacturers, I'm um, sorry, via retailers, I was also selling directly from my own website. That's what I was going to ask you, was your yeah. route to market just with buyers yeah. down to high street retail? It wasn't, it was also via your website. It was also via my, in a lesser, in a lesser capacity. Sure. I understand it because particularly earlier on um, in the world of e-commerce, the, the retailers weren't that keen on suppliers having their own sales through sure. their own website. Now, of course, it's much more common but anyway um so you know when that program goes out you want to be able to sell you want you want people buying these yeah, things yeah. so um anyway i went out there we managed to you know get it sorted get the testing done super super hard work thanks to lots of very helpful people out there um came back and then just each week it was am i going to be next week am i going to be next and by week? this stage had you introduced it to mother care um, so actually already, so Mothercare knew about it. I mean, who else? I think John Lewis knew about it. Oh, and interestingly, and this is something I would go into uh, as a creating partnerships is so important. I was mm. a really small brand, um, but of fun, interesting, different things that help travel to become easier. And um, I had a lovely relationship, uh, stroke partnership with British Airways who I contacted in a very sort of, I think you'd be interested in this, um, uh, did, was invited very kind of, I mean, things also escalated once the programme showed. Okay. So I had done some groundwork, yeah, but nobody knew what was going to happen. I couldn't tell anybody, I didn't tell anybody, I waited, but I had done some groundwork about, you know, you know, I've got a new product coming and what have you. Anyway, eventually the programme showed and I was actually the last program of the series and I had the longest slot. I had wow. 15 minutes nearly. Wow. Um, and it just went berserk. Everything went completely berserk, which has very good sides to it and caused a lot of challenges as well. Yeah. Because so, the demands uh, on your time, because the demands on cash flow as well, because you have to... Lots of demand on cash flow, um, lots of extremely large orders that were quite hard to fulfill. Um, lots of pressure on the manufacturer, uh, pressure on the um, the parts of the manufacturing, so my fabrics. And behind all of this, we're now in September 2010, coming towards 20, very challenging time for retail coming up. Um, and also a lot of movement in the cost of labor in China. Um, increasing and um, problems with supply of fabric often from India to China that was then used in the product. So lots of challenges as well, really um, quite a stressful time actually. So How many people did you have in your team at this stage? <laughs> Not very many. Um, so in my office by then I think there were five of us but most things were outsourced. So things like packaging, obviously the packaging and stuff was made in China, but packaging design and all of that was all outsourced. Um, didn't really have IT. We sort of did it in-house or tried to do it ourselves. But I basically, I was the sales. I, I did it. I mean, you know, I did pretty much everything, but I had a great uh, person helping me. Um, another person now on, on PR who come in one day a week and I had somebody doing my books and stuff like that. So those sorts of things were going on. Um, and so it was, but incredibly hard work. And the big, you can imagine, this was September. And when did all of the retailers want it? They wanted it for Christmas. Mm, and of course. So there's always run up time for that. So they wanted to be able to have it in their brochures. They wanted to be able to have all of the images on their online offerings. So there's lots, huge amounts of detail. And, and imagine this is all on the edge. You could either go so phenomenally well, or could could go one well, only one component on that journey. Whether it be imagery, quality of fabric, quality of manufacturer, mm. cash flow, supply timeframes, one of those things could go wrong, and then it yeah. could all be a disaster. I mean, there were certain things that where you, um, so the testing house, uh, I use various various different people um, in, in China, um, but they were international test houses who would do the gold ceiling and all of that, because you can't sell to places like John Lewis, Sainsbury's Boots, all those people, without having you know, properly documented trail of, of, of the conditions of the workers, the, you, you know, um, the flammability of the product. I mean, all of these things were down to minutiae. 
so there's an awful lot that goes on in the background of being able to supply big retailers like that. But there's no doubt, there's no doubt. The program went out and demand increased hugely. And I went from sort of supplying three of the big UK retailers to pretty much all of the relevant ones. Wow. So, um, you know, and I remember... And then did it have a halo effect on your other products? Um, yes, it did. It did. Um, people were very um, trachic crazy. So trachic was kind of the one that people like, easy sell, kids like it, things like that. But the other ones too. And I was still developing other things in the background because I'd got quite, quite far with one of my other products. But at the same time that this happened, so I had done, the year before, I had done one international show, a fantastic um, nursery and child show called Kinton Yogurt in uh, Cologne. It's the most enormous thing you could ever imagine. I mean, now, of course, these things aren't taking place, but mm. people sort of cycle around to get to the next thing. They were huge. Wow. Um, and I had already got a couple of um, international retailers and distributors for my first product. Uh, anyway, we went with lots of fanfare to Kinton uh, Jorgen with the new product and the lovely imagery and things from having done some things with BA and stuff like that. Did a brilliant photo shoot with the kids for their new plane that was still not even on the tarmac properly yet it was amazing um and it was it was fantastic and we got lots and lots of international demand as well um which again is a, a big challenge i mean it's you know it's hard work and i think also running a business on your own as much as my you know my husband was great and what have you but i didn't have a business partner and um as much as you can have really good people in your team and I particularly had a really fantastic girl who had been a summer student the year before and then came permanent with me. She's great. Um, you, it is quite a lonely space. There's an awful yes. lot of worry. And by this point, you know, the, the sums of money are, are big that you're talking about here. To, the, to buy the product, to get it you know, moved around the world, to get the, the testing done, to be thinking of the next range, all of these things. So, um, you know, it was really exciting to do the international stuff. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, in some places, I had distributors, so they would buy product and sell to the retailers within their territory. And I, would, I normally gave them exclusivity so that they could sell in their territory. But I did go to some uh, international retailers direct if they were big enough, if it if it made sense. Um, and then in the US, I got a distributor to cover US, Canada, and um, Mexico. Uh, and I was out in the US and negotiating things and what have you. So it was all very exciting. Um, but one of the sort of great things that came out of it was uh, during all of this time. So I was asked to go and do talks and I was a judge on a few other things for people with ideas and things like that. And I absolutely loved helping others with their journey and looking at ideas and just found it so exciting to think, well, where could that go and what would you need for that? And, and so more and more, I was also sort of doing consultancy on, you know, for people and going out and doing public speaking and trying to bring the reality to it because there are so many pitfalls too. And I think I was just really honest when I go out and do entrepreneurial forums and you know, after dinner speeches and things like that. Um, and um, so over time, so after a number of years of doing this, uh, to be honest, I was absolutely exhausted. It was incredibly hard work. Um, and my kids were really young. But I had some really good um, license deals that were done for various places. Um, and at that point, I thought, right, do I? You get to you get to a stage where you think, do I now create a whole load of, load of other lines? Do I reinvent? Do I, you know, I had about forty lines at the time, or do I take stock and think, okay, this has been the most amazing learning curve. I have learned so much from this. Um, but I also want to be able to do some, be there for my kids and to help them. And they were at that stage of going to the next school and things like that. And I was really enjoying the consultancy. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll stick with some licensed deals and just step back a bit. Um, and so that's when I really kind of revved up to inspiration solutions and helping other people with their ideas and um, doing things like talking to you. And um, thinking about what what can I share from all of that? <laughs> um, and there's you know, other things that went on in the background, but what can I share from all of that that can help move other things forward? I suppose you never, never can get out of your, your own mind thinking of new products and ideas, and I do it all the time. 
So there's, I've had lots of other sort of things rumbling around in the background. Um, and even an app was one thing I was looking at and, and various other things. So I think it's, it's an exciting thing to be able to do, to take real life experience and share that and, and help other people move things forward. And just things like when I've helped people pitch for money, whether it's, you know, investors or, or, or whether it's corporate finance, all these different sorts of things and angel finance and things like that. You, you always just, again, I come back to that same point, put yourself in their shoes. What do people need to know? What do they need to hear? What do they need to understand about you as a person? Do you have, do you have credibility? Is there longevity in the concept? And I think um, all of those sorts of things and helping people to have that confidence and courage to be able to say, actually, I do have something interesting here and I can do it. And a bit of that sort of handholding that you can do behind the scenes and and go out and sharing your story. So, so yeah, you've, that's you've, what happened. You've been asked to present to a number of uh, many audiences around around lessons learned. I'm sure from this. So, if we were to kind of, uh, it's a riveting story, and yeah. I love it. I love, absolutely could listen all day to stories like this, and I love them. What for you were your sort of key takeaways, your key learnings from the whole of that journey? Um, well, first of all, if you have got a good idea. You have got a good idea. Share it with others. Get it evaluated. Don't think that something about you as a person means that it is impossible because there is there's something in everybody. And sometimes you might be the sort of behind the scenes person and you might need a, a business partner who has other attributes who might take it forward to market. But just just think about the fact that the best way to have an idea is to have lots of ideas. So I think just being courageous around yourself is one of the things. Um, one of the most important things is, and I mentioned this earlier on, is you've got to be honest with yourself about when you don't know. Yeah, yeah. You really must. And don't be afraid to surround yourself with people who know more than you. Yeah. Yeah? So because you might be the best salesperson for your product. And I think for me, I was, for me, me going out, and when I do pitching and I go into retailers and show them my stuff and do my spiel and all that, um, I felt really enthusiastic about it, and I had really good success on that front. Um, but, you know, there were lots of other things that I didn't know uh, so much about and where you, you, you're you looking for somebody else to, to to bring in that expertise. So be really honest with yourself about what you, you know and what you don't know. Um, and also, I think that when you are surrounded by an atmosphere of, of incredible enthusiasm for what you're doing just make sure that you can stand back sometimes and just realize what is actually possible within the remits and the organization that you have at that time yeah do you need, do you need maybe a distributor for an area can you really do it yourself don't be too greedy yeah actually um and yes be willing to share the good and the bad I remember, uh, Gavin, when I when I first started doing this, I remember I went to a talk. It was somewhere in London, and I can't remember how I ended up there, but I did end up there. And it was something about a, a person, you know, somebody with an idea who had taken it to market, but it was a service, not a product. And I remember listening to the person, and they stood up on their stage. And actually, I think it probably would have put a lot of people off because all it was was a, a long liturgy about how they had made so many millions in such a short period of time, seemingly incredibly easily. Um, and, you know, it's just a matter of doing X, Y, and Z. There you go. Now you're an entrepreneur, you know, and I sold my company for 30 million pounds or whatever it was. And it just, it, I think for a lot of people, and I remember talking in the sort of the coffee bit afterwards to people, and in a way, people were sort of, was standing back going, well, I don't know. How on earth did he do that? What was the reality of what would, how do you really do it? And that's what I like to talk about. What do you really have to do? Um, so listening to super success stories where everything seems seamless and what have you, it's great and it can be encouraging, but it also can be off-putting because you're thinking, well, someone's got from A to Z and I do not know what happened in the middle. Yeah. And yeah. it can't have been the way they say. So it no. doesn't sound... Yeah. so yeah. you know i would always say to people have a go be optimistic be enthusiastic you've got to have passion about what you're doing because particularly i always used to say 
when I would go out and, and take a new product to a retailer and I would go, you know, I'd go there and I, I well, I remember a particular one with Sainsbury's um, and they had seen me on Dragon's Den and they, I went with my with my suitcase. I looked like a traveling salesman. I had this huge suitcase that I'd roll around after me and I'd bring all these products out. And I never thought that, you know, it's a funny old thing and getting out them, but I was genuinely so enthusiastic about what it was that I had created and then the problem it would solve. And I genuinely felt it would solve these things. So it, but he was so excited and fired up by the end of the conversation. Uh, uh, and what you need is that then to be laughing because then he goes and he talks to his, you know, one of his team and says, oh my God, we've got to have this, this trinket thing. This is so exciting. And it, it goes down the line. So I mean, your, your passion has to be infectious. And it has to be long lasting. In in the in the time that we've got available, I think that's the point I want I, I want to finish on about enthusiasm and passion. We started to have a conversation before we press record around repeated lockdowns and um, you know kids at home, etc. I mean the dwindling impact it's having on enthusiasm, on passion, of grit, determination, and I think it's this kind of attrition over time people's reserves of resilience and passion and enthusiasm are being eroded you know, what would your i think i think one of the things that I, I what fuels it is progress i think you work out many moments on that journey when you were getting little flags to say keep going keep going because you're heading in the right direction but we're actually seen you know less of that i think now in some businesses because of the real restrictions on trade you know what were you what are your thoughts around maintaining that enthusiasm and passion and courage in the face of some very real restrictions on your ability to trade yes um i do think this is a really uh big barrier at the moment and that comes from somebody who is naturally very optimistic and very positive um, and uh, it is actually quite exhausting sometimes to keep that up, that positivity and that optimism. And even people I know who have it in spades are saying now that they are finding it hard to drag up those reserves. Um, and I think we have to think about what what actually is it that makes you somebody who is an entrepreneur or somebody who wants to to make things happen. And I, I think the sort of the core of being that type of person, let's just say in normal times and now, is somebody who can see the end goal without just seeing all the hurdles along the way as to why not to do it. Yeah. And that is entrepreneurial entrepreneurialism anyway. So being able to see the end goal, whether it's I've solved that problem, or it can be I've made myself that kind of money. Or it can be I've provided a fantastic service that I can see everyone benefiting from every day. Whatever that might be, that goal, you need to focus still on the goal. There are going to be hurdles. And I think if I could if I could uh, show this in, in a pictorial fashion, it would be a bit like taking a rubber band, which isn't extended, putting a load of steps along the way on the rubber band. You've got your goal at the end. And at the moment, that rubber band is stretched. I love that metaphor. It's really good. It takes longer. Longer between those steps along the way. But try and still focus on that end goal. Those steps will take longer. And I think perhaps some of us uh, optimists out there sometimes don't want to acknowledge that, you know, it might be harder. but to say to actually sometimes acknowledging that you say you put less expectations on yourself. Yes, it is going to take that bit longer to raise that money. Or um, when I ask for feedback from a retailer, and of course retail has changed anyway before this, but also because of this that we're living through right now. So you need to be thinking very carefully about your online offering and how that works and, and to what extent have you maximised that. But whereas I say you might have thought in the past, I normally would hear back from someone in two weeks. You've got to, again, put yourself, if you put yourself in the shoes of each person that you need to engage with you at every step of the way, you will understand why it's taking longer. And you might understand better what they need. So if you are a buyer who might be thinking of putting a product onto the online offering that, that they already have, let's say whatever kind of product it might be, 
right, what are the problems they're going to be facing? Well, they've probably got quite a lot of excess stock for certain type of things because of restrictions that are put in our way. So at the moment, you can't really travel. Okay, so what could what do I have in my offering or what can I be thinking of for the future that actually might better match the trends that we're going to see going forward? Um, what what is there that people might focus on a bit more? Because actually, I think, and I was thinking about this before we were talking, people have learned to become um, less greedy about all of their possessions and wanting more and more and more. And there has definitely been a trend towards less and looking at your life now a bit more, um, not so much consumerism, a bit more mm. what's good for us, what's good, what helps us actually enjoy our time here rather than just you know running along the treadmill to get to the end because that's not living that's existing mm. you, uh, you know so I think think about those things and there will be new trends and new ideas and also there's going to be government initiatives um which are often very interesting to look into so for example I was thinking um there's a little bit of pushback at the moment from our government but other governments are definitely starting to go down the line of uh, vaccination passports. You can do things if you have them. Um, what might that look like? What might be things that might be needed around that? Um, if you, for example, are going to go to a concert and you're going to, you can go if you've got the correct app or, you know, the vaccination. I don't know. Are there some ideas around that? How is life going to be going forward? So there are exciting things too. But I think focus on that end goal. Be honest about what you don't know and also be realistic about that stretched rubber band. It's just going to take a little bit longer. I love that analogy. And I think that's a really, really strong point for us to finish on. Um, Wow. So much inspiration, so much uh, a tale of enthusiasm, of partnerships and of sheer determination and and, and persistence to get through. But a, a, a wonderful and uplifting story. But your final point there, I think, is, is, is so important about keep the focus on the keep the focus on the end goal. And even though the, the timeline has been stretched, the rubber band has been stretched, keep that focus on the difference that you're going to make or the, the goal that you're going to achieve. Solve, Solve Biddle, thank you so much for your time. And if people want to find out more about you, your consulting, the speaking that you do, how do they do that? Um, so they can always look me up on, on LinkedIn, but also you can look at Inspirational Solutions. So that's inspirationalsolutionsltd.com. And you can see the various different things um, that I do. Um, and I'm always very happy to have an initial chat and always excited to hear what other people are doing and what they're up to. Um, and also I run some programs about taking things from in your head to in the shops and around that inspiring creativity, innovation and courage. And I think we all need a bit of that at the moment. So take a look at my website or contact me via LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success and create more impact.